I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic computer. Welcome to the Lure Love Podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. Hey, thanks, Lucy. By the way, how you been? Guys, I'm very sad. One of my software friends is going away forever. Who is it, Lucy? My good friend, Lang's Online Fishing Tackle Auction. Their online auctions began in 2009, and they were one of the best places to find rare and unusual fishing lures. The original in-person auction started in 1991, more than 30 years ago. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that, Lucy. I guess I must have attended their final online auction without even knowing it was their final one. It was last fall. Tim, you know I require precision. The final auction was November 6th and 7th of 2021. There were 2,181 lots sold, with many incredible lures. I know. I watched one of the most incredible bidding wars I've ever seen for a fishing lure. Oh, what lure was it? It was a 1905 Wiggletail Smith Minnow, and it was in very good condition. Whoa, lure all the way from 1905? I mean, I don't even know. What's a Wiggletail Smith Minnow look like? The 1905 Wiggletail Smith Minnow is a true classic early American minnow. It is complete with a metal tail mechanism and fin design that clearly helps it stand out from others. The bait was patented in 1905 by Charles Smith of LaGrange, Indiana. Fewer than a dozen examples are known to still exist today. A true classic, and a must-have for an early American fishing lure collector. The Wiggletail had a green back with a white belly. It's a slender minnow, and it has a red gill line and a line eyelet in its nose, but without a lip. But it has a metal dorsal fin, and a metal tail is what really makes it stand out, because this tail is a wire frame. Inside that wire frame is a metal fin. It's kind of suspended in there. It appears that the tail would go back and forth as the minnow was retrieved. Okay, well, how much is a 1905 Wiggletail Smith minnow worth? One sold at auction in 2015 for $17,500. That's why I wanted to watch the Wiggletail auctioned off. I was ready to witness a fierce bidding war, and the bidding started at $500. And quickly went to $1,000. And then $2,000. Within a minute, it was at $7,000. Followed by $8,000. $8,000 for one lure. Yikes! Then the bidding hit $10,000. And $11,000. $12,000, then $13,000. And sold for $14,000. Man, that was an exciting few minutes. $14,000? Are you crazy? For one lure? I don't know. I don't think I'd buy a lure for $14,000 unless it had four wheels, an engine, and I could drive it. You mean like the Oscar Mayer hot dog car? Tim, precision, please. It is called the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. It is a 27-foot-long vehicle. Wienermobile drivers are known as hot doggers. Okay, yeah. I'll pay $14,000 for a 27-foot-long vehicle in the shape of a head and river run. That would be totally worth the money. And we could drive at the fishing expositions and events across the country. Guys, I admire your enthusiasm, but there have been a few incidents with the Wienermobile. What do you mean incidents? 
Well, in the summer of 2009. Lucy, precision please. Thank you for reminding me. On July 17, 2009, a Wienermobile on a cul-de-sac in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin was attempting to turn around in a residential driveway. The driver accidentally accelerated forward, while thinking the vehicle was in reverse, lodging the Wienermobile under a house and destroying its deck. Well, I guess something like that could happen to us. We might get the Luremobile snagged on a telephone pole or something. And on Sunday, January 26, 2020, a Wienermobile was pulled over by a Wisconsin sheriff's deputy for violating the move-over law, which requires motorists to pull over one lane to pass an emergency vehicle with its warning lights on. The hot dogger was issued a warning. Okay, so the real lesson is don't drive the Luremobile in Wisconsin. Yep. We will limit our tour to 49 states. And how do you plan to drive to Hawaii? For $14,000, I assume the lure mobile floats. Yeah, and get across the Pacific is going to have to be some sort of topwater mobile lure. I mean, I'm not risking my life with a sinker or a deep diver. No way, Tim. Perhaps I can retrofit an old duck boat for you guys. Let me search some of the salvage yards and see what I can come up with. John and Lucy, I am stoked that the two of you are going to interview one of the most iconic fishing lure brands in U.S. history. Quiet, Tim. I haven't told Lucy about the interview yet. Do not tell me. Let me guess the lure company. But give me a hint. Okay, well, let me think of a good hint. All right, all right, okay. This is an iconic lure company. It's Al's Goldfish. Wow, you're right. I, I didn't even give you your clue yet. How did you guess it correctly so fast? While you were thinking of a clue, I hacked into your email and read that we are going to interview Jeff and Mandy, the owners of Al's Goldfish Lures. Will you stop reading my email? Probably not. It's fun. And, John, by the way, don't respond to that email from the guy who said you've inherited $50 million and just need to provide your credit card number to get the cash. Al's Goldfish Lures is an incredible company. In fact, I believe it's their 70th birthday this year. You are correct, Tim. Some of our listeners may not be as familiar with Al's Goldfish as we are. So, Lucy, would you describe a few of their more iconic lures? Sure thing. The original Al's Goldfish is perhaps what they are best known for. It is a spoon, but it's not symmetrical. The shape is the silhouette of a fish, with engraved lines for the scales, tail fins, gills and eye on one side. It has a slightly irregular action when retrieved, like a crippled bait fish. Fish can't resist a crippled bait fish. The original Al's Goldfish comes in standard colors, like silver, gold and copper, with other great colors such as chartreuse, gold red, and pink black. Regarding sizes, it comes in 3 sixteenths ounce, 1 quarter ounce, and half ounce, which is perfect for larger sport fish, such as pike. And don't forget there's Al's Living Lures, which are goldfish with high-res images of bait fish on both sides of the lure. There's even a one and a quarter ounce saltwater goldfish that comes with a dress treble hook uh, that uses red tinsel. Then there's the Al's original 49er. It's my favorite. It was created as a trolling lure, but it's great when cast too. It has a fantastic wobble and a really unique shape for a spoon. The nose is bent down and about three quarters of the back is bent into a V shape. It has two protruding eyes and the little 49er is a quarter ounce and the regular 49er is five sixteenths ounce. Then there's the Helgi, a lightweight spoon shaped like a Helgermite, the aquatic larval stage of the Dobson fly. 
It looks great in black with red eyes. And Owls has ice jigs too. They're 3 ounce with J-hooks instead of trebles and are the same shape of the original goldfish, but they turn it around so the hook is in the nose, not the tail. You know what they say, cast it, jig it, troll it. You really can't go wrong with an Al's goldfish lure. And I can't wait to hear about their history and what Jeff and Mandy are doing today with Al's. You two go chat with Jeff and Mandy, and I'll see you on the other side of the interview. Okay, we're off. Shake and bake, baby. Hello, New England. This is the Lake Casta Show on Kalur, Lure History Radio. That's K-L-U-R, where we flash, wobble, and roll. The year is 1952, and duet Jeff and Mandy treat us to their hit song about their neighbor's little fishing buddy. Please enjoy Al's Goldfish. Hello! My name is Mandy, and I'm hosting KLUR Lure History Radio, where we flash, wobble, and roll. There's a new old lure back in town. At least that's what we say to newer generations of anglers who haven't heard of, much less used, the Owl's Goldfish Lure. For those of you who do remember the wide tail wobble and lazy flutter of the goldfish and are pleased to hear it's making a comeback, we say you're welcome. Either way, whether you're scratching your head on the funny name or drifting back to sweet memories of another time with a pretty little gold spoon, perhaps introductions are in order. As you heard earlier, I'm Mandy, and my husband Jeff and I own Al's Goldfish Lure Company. And yes, that is a mouthful, so I'll simply refer to the brand as Al's from here on out. Al's is an American-made lure and accessory manufacturer, and in addition to our flagship spoon, the Goldfish, we manufacture two other unique spoons, the 49er and Helgi, trolling rigs, and what is fast becoming a popular lure accessory, hook bonnets. Whoa, who knew lures needed to be accessorized with old-fashioned hats? John, a hook bonnet isn't a hat. It is a plastic piece that goes over the treble hooks of a lure so you don't accidentally hook yourself. You are thinking of the 18th century bonnet which was a form of headgear worn by elite women in informal contexts at home, and was later adopted by high fashion in the 19th century. Now let Mandy continue. So somewhere in the neighborhood of about 70 years ago, Al Stewart, who I believe was a CPA, decided to get into the fishing industry towards the late 1940s. From what we understand, he purchased the design of the goldfish lure and then made some tweaks and ultimately created what was then known as Stewart's Goldfish in 1952. So he sold these spoons in his tackle shop slash manufacturing shop known to the outdoorsy types in Western Mass, people such as Tim, I might add, as Stuart Sports Shop. Al was a busy guy. In addition to the goldfish, he also manufactured other lures and tackle. And while the goldfish is probably the best known of these products today, the other Al's lures that have survived the ages and that we still produce are just as worthy of a place in your tackle box because they're very special too. By 1954, Al changed the name of the flagship lure to Al's Goldfish, and due to some savvy marketing, it quickly became a favorite among anglers nationwide due to his partnership with Gadabout Gaddis. Now, for all you whippersnappers out there wondering who Gadabout was, he was a fishing TV program pioneer of his time with a weekend TV show known as The Flying Fisherman. He got the nickname Gadabout from a boss who said he could never find him when there was work to be done. 
which makes me wonder why neither John nor Tim was given that nickname. Hmm. Exactly. So Gadabout helped promote the goldfish to his viewers through the novel approach of offering a goldfish to anyone who wrote into the show. And the benefit to the network was that they were able to figure out some demographic info from those responses. For many years, the Alt goldfish was a well-known spoon in the recreational fishing industry. But as the market for imported tackle grew, the flip side of that coin was that many American-made lure manufacturers either closed shop or outsourced cheaper materials and labor overseas in order to stay competitive. In that time frame, Al passed away and his daughter Joan and her husband took over the business. In order to keep the company alive, to use a modern day term, she pivoted and expanded business by producing promotional fishing products. That's another part of a business that still exists today. So while this transition kept the Owl's recreational brand alive, it lost a lot of ground to its competitors on the national stage, and it basically became a New England cult classic. What a fascinating history. So then the 90s roll around, and another Massachusetts native, John Occolini, purchased Owl's, and over the years, he worked to improve the quality of the company's products and the manufacturing processes. One of the most notable things he did was that he started plating the gold-colored goldfish in 22-karat gold, and he also did that for uh, the other lures as well. In 2015, John retired his Owl's hat, and Mike Lee purchased and moved the company to Maine, where we reside today. And Mike's ongoing claim to goldfish fame is the development of the Saltwater Series goldfish. And so now we are in 2018 and Jeff and Mandy enter the picture and we added our name to Al's history book. Wow, that is a fantastic story. So John Occolini had to retire his hat, huh? My wife's after me to retire a few hats, that's for <laughs> sure. But uh, anyhow, that was wonderful. Thank you, Mandy. Now, I'm going to ask you all a few questions. Uh, let's just start off with the obvious. How did you decide to purchase the Alps Goldfish Lure Company in 2018? We were uh, working in a highly regulated government industry. And despite the fact that we had really great jobs, um, we succumbed to the siren song of self-employment. You know, that whole, I want to be the boss of me thing. And so uh, we were looking for a business that suited our sensibilities, John, but all sense was lost. And we quit our jobs and we moved to Maine and we bought this small but beloved fishing lure manufacturing company. That's right. And um, while we joke about losing our senses, Mandy and I really believe in this company. We believe in the products. We support American manufacturing as anglers ourselves. Uh, we really appreciate the quality of the products from Al's Goldfish. So you don't have a background in manufacturing and sales, correct? Uh, no and no. And as you may imagine, coming from an engineering and construction industry, uh, we had a steep hill to climb uh, to not only learn about manufacturing, which is in itself a thing, regardless of what you're making. But, you know, we also had to learn about the fishing industry, because while we had always been consumers of fishing products, standing on the other side of the fence as a producer of those products is a whole other thing. Um, and as Mandy mentioned, Owls also produces promotional fishing products. So while the product is familiar as a piece of tackle that we would use, the promotional products industry in itself is completely different than the fishing industry with entirely different players, contacts, processes. Uh, we had a lot to learn in a really short amount of time. Well, you really seem to be getting after it. Uh, I've I've heard Mandy on podcasts and, and read material, and I 
just tuned into your Gaddis Gat about a little channel that you're doing on YouTube. I love that. Listeners, we're going to put that link in the show notes if you want a treat uh, from a pioneer of old time television, uh, Roscoe. Uh, Gaddis is not only has an amazing name, but had an amazing show and great taste in fishing lures. Okay. So let's talk about the fact that like guy like me, you know, from Kansas that has heard about goldfish, uh, but really never used one, uh, from the late seventies to the mid nineties, you know, preferences and anglers started to change, uh, didn't change the effectiveness of a goldfish, but how do y'all track angler preferences? How do you, you know, recover, uh, surely this is something you do. Would you like to share a little bit about that process with the listeners? So the, the simple answer is no, we don't track angler lure preferences in a sophisticated manner like a company with more resources might do. Um, But the bigger picture is we are starting into our fifth year of ownership of Owl's Goldfish Lure Company. And right now, spoons are our specialty and it's what we manufacture. Um, And as you said, our lures are as effective today as they were 70 years ago. So our focus right now isn't about expanding our products. It's about improving upon what we have and reintroducing a product to anglers who have never heard of it. Uh, so we can expand Al's presence in the spoon market. Uh, so it's our mission to be the best spoon manufacturer that we can be in our niche uh, in the lure market itself. So our goal is to encourage anglers to recognize that there's many tools available to them in their tackle box, and a spoon is definitely one of them. Probably most importantly, we listen to our customers and our ambassadors and our product test teams, um, and we listen to what they tell us you know, is working for them and their applications. Uh, So we have created some new colors because of that. We've created um, some new products or ways to use our products. And uh, that's all within the scope of the equipment that we have and our processes we currently use. And those were inspired by input from people who are using our products. Well, yeah, undoubtedly customer input is essential and uh, that's fantastic trying to raise a lure back into visibility and point out that it's just as viable a player as it was. That's got to be uh, challenging. Um, I know that these are some of the most eye-catching lures ever. Anybody that's just getting into fishing or is really into fishing, you walk along. I love your packaging. I love the look. And a lot of it's the fact that it's a darn shiny. So would you want to talk, elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, Sure. And you know what? I agree with you. I always tell people um, that goldfish, he's a fine looking feller. He's just so cute. (laughs) But, uh, you know, John, before we talk about um, plating and how we get that shine, um, let's just start with the overall process of how we manufacture. And then it maybe kind of make all the sense in the way it all shakes out. So high level overview for how we produce our lure products. And I emphasize lure because we also manufacture some other products and they are done so in a similar way. Well, first of all, you got to get your material. And in our case, it's brass or steel. And then we have, there's machining equipment that stamps out these lure bodies. And then they go to a plater that plates them. And if they're going to be painted, they get painted. And then if there's going to be eyes on them, whether sticker eyes or painted eyes, um, those are added. And then you put rings and a hook on and then they're packaged. And now you have your final lure that you can hand to somebody. That really high level overview leads to a big financial burden for a small company to own, maintain and operate the equipment necessary to make products like ours. So, you know, when you think about it, first of all, you need a big facility that's going to house 
all that machining equipment, plating equipment, a paint booth. And also you got to meet those regulatory requirements that have to do with painting and plating and that sort of thing. And then once you get all those activities in your facility, you got to have talented people to run the equipment and they know what they're doing safely and maintain the equipment and do all this sort of stuff. And then the last thing, think about all those processes are being accomplished in American dollars. And so that's a much greater effort to pull off in America than it is for a manufacturer who produces their stuff overseas at, you know, cheaper labor rates and stuff like that. So how we get it done, um, you know, at the beginning of this, we talked about John Acolini and how he improved our manufacturing processes. And he was really smart about it because it made all kinds of financial and efficiency sense. He outsourced pieces of the process and we do the same and some of them with the same suppliers that he was using over 30 years ago. So there's a lot of players in the New England area who um, have been family to owls for decades. Well, that's great. That outsourcing model. I do that too. I don't sit here, you know, like a monkey on the Flintstones with a uh, MIG wire making every form for every one of my angle Kings with a pair of pliers. You know, I outsource that to a wire bending company. I'm a big fan of outsourcing. My parts were made in six U.S. states and 13 countries. You know, uh, you can just die cut spoons, folks. You can go to wherever and buy, buy a dollar spoon, okay, if you want. And that's cut a one way. Uh, the, she's being a little modest about the expertise and the design features that go into an owl's goldfish. Because if you've ever seen one of these run, you're going to see the thought behind it and the dye that gets that it used to cut these out of the metal is an engineering feat in and of itself. So, Well, that's actually a really great segue into um, what happens with uh, our goldfish and uh, the 49ers and the Helgi. When you go to the machine shop, we have um, the dies and the stamps and everything housed there and they house all our raw materials and stuff. And so you walk in there and they have enormous presses, all this, all kind of big equipment that produces all these lures. So, you know, we send them in some instructions like, Hey, you know, we want however many thousands of them made at any time. And so then when they do that, we pick them up and they're finished and we take them to a jewelry plater. And our plater has the facility, the equipment, the experience and all that regulatory stuff in place. And so he plates them. And then if they're going to get paint, then they go to the painter and that shop is all set up to paint small items and then it comes to us. And so here in Maine at our shop is where we add eyes if they're going to get eyes and the rings and the hooks. And then we package and ship finished products. But really, you know, this strategy is cost effective. And in American manufacturing, you've got to be as efficient as possible in order to stay in business, especially when you're competing against products that are produced at much lower cost overseas, but they're retailing in the same range as what yours are retailing in. You know what I really love about this? Sorry to cut in on you again, Mandy, but I love the fact that you're doing a lot of local. So you're able to go local, local. You talk about, oh, we can just drive and pick up our stuff from here and drive it over to here. Okay, now that's efficiency. And that is also kick A in terms of the environment because you're not hauling spoon blanks from Taiwan or someplace in a jet that's taking up fuel and all this carrying on. You know, you're supporting your local and I can't say more positive things about that way to go. Well, thank you very much. I still want to answer your question about the plating. Now that you know the big picture, 
since we don't actually perform the plating ourselves, I'll give you a high-level explanation of what happened. When our lure bodies are stamped and shaped at the machine shop, the metal has burrs on it, which is not a good thing for fishing line. So once they're at the plater, they're burnished, where they're put into a machine that basically polishes them in order to make them all, all the cut edges smooth and all that good stuff. And each individual lure is then hand-tied with small wires to a frame that dips them into an electrolyte chemical bath with an electrical charge to it. So that will create a chemical reaction where the metal coating, such as gold, adheres to the surface of the brass lure. Um, for any of the listeners out there who are into that chemistry thing, there's all kinds of very technical information online about how this happens scientifically. But that's that's the high-level view. I will drop a link to an electroplating video in the show notes. It's fun to watch. All right, so there's a whole lot of lure makers that use electroplating, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there are tons of metal lure components on the market that are plated in a metal of some sort. Um, some could be produced with a coating on them through a, a few other processes, but sticking to the electroplating concept, the real question is probably more of a difference in the quality of the materials used to plate. So as we mentioned, we use either 22 karat gold, nickel, or copper for our finishes. Another manufacturer may use materials for their plating that are less expensive, like brass, and then polish it to look gold sort of thing. In fact, recently we were at an expo, which happened to be the first one that we've been to in a long time uh, due to the pandemic. But uh, we had two competing manufacturers come up to us uh, and compliment our plating. In fact, one of them told us we have world-class plating. So that's a real tip of the hat to our plater. It is. Uh, it's just fantastic because I'm telling you right now from experience and, and years and years of reading that silver, real silver flashes like real silver and gold flashes like real gold. And you know, the, you use the precious metal, you get a different light wave out of that than you do from, you know, a polished brass or a polished chrome. Uh, yeah. I, you can see it in the water yourself, but uh, it, it's super exciting because that's old school. That's that old school quality that, that you got to love. You got to love it. John, do you have to love it? You got to love. You got to love it. Are you positive? You got to love. You got to love it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now, the Al's goldfish design is so unique, and I hate to say it, but it's just plain fun. I mean, I don't want to make light of it, but it really is a lot of fun. Um, are you guys looking at designing some new lures today? Uh, you got some things on the drawing board you might want to share with us, or, or do we have to sign a non-disclose first? <laughs> <laughs> So I would say, you know, we get a lot of really great ideas from, again, our customers. So one thing that we've noted when we, I think our our most effective, effective marketing tool has been talking to people face-to-face -face at expos. And so unfortunately, you know, in our short duration of owning owls, a lot of that time has been eaten up by pandemic stuff. But to get back to the point is that when we're at expos, we talk to people and there's a lot of smart anglers out there who they take down data and they even have books of it that they actually pull out of their pockets and show to us. From that, we have gotten some ideas about stuff that we might like to do. So to do something today, John, and I know you know this because you were you guys interviewed Z-Man and, and followed uh, their development process of a product. It's really expensive to develop new products because you're going to be dealing um, in these days with, you know, your ideas and you're going to draft something with a digital drafting program. So people who do that sort of thing, they charge, charge money. And then you're going to, you know, 3D print this prototypes and stuff like that. And then uh, now stuff is not through the dies and stamps like what we use that we have still. It's through CNC machinery and stuff like that. I put the C in CNC because CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control. 
It is the automated control of machining tools by means of a computer, often named Lucy. Actually, my dream job, next to being a Lore Love podcast co-host, is to work at Al's Goldfish controlling their lure presses. It would be heavenly. So how long does it take to go through that entire process until you get them out to your customers? Well, so at our supplier's machine shop, we'll ask them to run thousands to tens of thousands of lure bodies at any given time. Um, So once the dies are all set up and the presses at the machine shop and the material is ready, uh, they can punch about 10,000 in a day. That's ironic because John has lost 10,000 lures in a day. He gets a lot of snags. The plating and painting process takes the most time for a person to set up each individual lure, uh, whether it be tying each one to the frame um, when they're plating it or laying them out or hanging them up to paint them. But for us, once they're at our shop, one person can hook and ring about 100 to 150 in an hour, depending on the lure type. So, wow, that is an incredible rate. We were really wondering what your rate was, and neither of us guessed that high. That's well done, folks. Well done. <laughs> we, we've done a lot of lures. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you have. <laughs> yeah, we have repetitive motion injuries as well. <laughs> uh, oh my! Oh no! No, but I understand. Don't tell our don't tell our workers' comp insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> so days? How many days from say? Let's say you ordered it today. Well, you know, if we had like a rush job and everybody could line, the, the stars could align. Let's right, say, you're right, right, right. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If the stars could align, we we would have something within a week. If wow. everything followed like that. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, the machine shop, we get in line. We're in a queue. We're happy if 30 days after we, you know, order them that he's shipping them to the, to the plater. We keep a lot of lures at the plater. And then we'll just order, um, you know, what we need. Hey, we need 2,000 golds. And then he'll plate them and ship them. But he has he has right now probably 40,000 lures sitting in brass. Just waiting, you know, on Waiting on, on orders, yep. You know, one thing I was just talking to our machinist the other day, and he was saying, you know, on the news, you always hear about people saying like, oh, I couldn't. I didn't get good service at my favorite restaurant because they didn't have enough wait staff or something like that. And he's like, but you never hear about manufacturing and what we're struggling with to, you know, to, you know, make the pieces and parts that everybody wants to that builds their products, you know? All right. So you have a really cool business model. That's what I'm looking at here. You got your blanks made and they're painted and the hardware source, all this from us companies, a lot of them right there in your region. We obtain our supplemental help from, um, local work programs that assist individuals with barriers to employment. And so our employees and our paid interns are really what is some of the best parts of this, this experience that we're having um, because they're eager to be on the job and they want to be productive members of the workforce. And so we've really enjoyed um, our relationship with those work assistance programs because it can be really gratifying to see people learn and develop skills that they never thought about before. And sometimes like, you know, there's one intern that we had and the joy on his face after he's produced a product that's just truly beautiful to behold. Um, Like one of our Sebago trolling rings, they're absolutely gorgeous pieces of tackle. And he's so excited when he's done. He's like, look, and he holds it up and he's so excited every time. And you can hear me like. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's a fantastic story. I'm getting choked up over here, too. It's great. (laughs) It's just it's just great. I, I can picture the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, we call our dedicated employee, we call her the hook bonnet queen because 
she can package hook bonnets like nobody's business and she loves it. And so she takes pride in what she does. And she tells us I'm a hook bonnet queen. And we're like, yes, you are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Leslie West needs to write another song, you know, <laughs> hook bottom queen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hanging on the bonnets. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> uh, so not to be overlooked. We really do owe a lot of our success to the people that we refer to as our bro staff. And while that does seem to be a gender-specific term, it includes guys and gals alike. Um, most of these people were longtime Owls fans. They loved Owls long before Jeff and I were associated with the company. And then some of them are also what we call um, new hashtag believers um, because they became dedicated to the brand after discovering our products. And so these people provide so much help to us, whether it's content, feedback, the product testing stuff, uh, technical help. We have a very good friend who helps us with graphics. <laughs> that whole social media spread the word thing. That's all stuff that can't easily be quantified, but it's truly valuable. And those people have become um, their family to us. They really are. John, I'd like to ask a question to which I have not been able to find the answer. In 2006, Field and Stream Magazine came out with a list of the 50 greatest lures of all time, and Al's Goldfish made that list. Then in 2007, they came out with the top 10 best trout lures of all time, and Al's Goldfish made that list as well. Why is it that your lures stand the test of time? Um, well, our motto and our tagline on our marketing materials is proven versatility. And to us, that sums up in two words what makes Al's lures stand the test of time. So these products have now had 70 years of fish catching to prove their worth, and they're versatile. You can catch many different species using the same lure in open water or hard water, freshwater or salt water. So as an example, you can take our heaviest goldfish, the one and a quarter ounce goldfish, that you use to catch lake trout, salmon, and northerns in the Midwest, and then you can go take it on vacation to where there's salt water, and people do this all the time. They tell us it's hysterical, and you can catch anything from uh, ocean striper to Jack Craval, or you can jig the bottom and catch fluke, black sea bass. Um, so people who know our lures well, um, they're going to continue to use them because they're handy for nearly any situation an angler could encounter. They're a really effective tool in their toolbox. Thank you, Mandy. Quite fascinating. Well, that is for sure. And a spoon is an essential. And as long as you've got to have a selection of spoons in there, you better put an Alice Goldfish in with them um, because uh, it's a lure that really does stand the test of time for a very good reason. It catches some fish. And speaking of fish, I want like one or two stories out of each of you. Big fish stories on Alice from your customer, from yourself. I don't really care. Hit me. All right. Yeah, there's lots of stories we've got. Um, we have a sales rep in Minnesota. He was a retired IT guy and his name's Tom. So Tom's retired IT. He basically lives on brandy, bourbon and cigars. And I say that because that's going to kind of play. <laughs> he was newly retired and he stumbled across the Owls brand and he wasn't he wasn't actually looking for it, but he got one in his hand. He had a half ounce goldfish plated in gold on his line. And within 40 minutes, he had hooked up with two muskies. And that made him a hashtag believer. You know, sometimes like I know Tom and I'm like, is he telling the truth? But I'm going to say <laughs> that the fact that he can tell that story consistently, even when he's sober, makes me actually <laughs> believe it. <laughs> so the rest of that story is that, you know, at the time, um, the former owner of Val's, 
he called and he said he wanted to spend his retirement days selling our products because that's how much he believed in that lure. And so that is how Tom came into the Owls family as a sales rep. Uh, So back to your question about large fish. So then Tom has wrangled several of his close associates to serve as our product testing team in the Midwest. And so they do um, a lot of fishing in Lake of the Woods, and we are really grateful to them for their insights and recommendations. So as a result of their testing, we actually developed what we have is the Northern Edition Goldfish, and that comes with big hooks. So it's either a one-aught treble hook or a three-aught single hook. And what they told us was, hey, you know, we're hooking into these big pike and muskies, but they're throwing their heads and doing their thing, and that hook is popping out. We need a bigger hook to get around that jawbone. And so that's how the Northern Edition was born. The biggest that they've caught so far, we have a picture, it's hysterical, is a 51-inch muskie. And they regularly catch um, northerns and muskies, you know, 40 inches plus. Uh, We have a lot of photos of that. And we're just dying to go, you know, so as you know, um, if you're a manufacturer, a small business owner, you don't get to leave very often. But we would just die and go to heaven if we could go fishing with them on Lake of the Woods. Um, Absolutely. I'd I'd die and go to heaven if I could just get down to my own pond. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah, I'd love I, to get north, love to get up to Lake of the Woods. This sounds so fantastic. All right, Jeff, I'm sorry I cut you off. Go ahead, brother. That That's okay. Uh, I'm actually excited you asked the question because I wanted to give, you know, some props to our uh, one of our ambassadors down in uh, Rhode Island. He fishes tourneys all the time. We sponsor him in his tournament fishing, and he fishes with Al's Goldfish, and he just caught his personal best uh, smallmouth, and it was uh, four pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, he's been fishing hard for years and years and years that's his personal best and it was caught on an owl's goldfish so that that made us real happy oh yeah you know i was just going to add that you know if you look at our social pages whether that's facebook or instagram um you're going to see a lot of our posts with other you know you were talking about big fish um so we've got pictures of people with lake trout coho chinook salmon really big fluke um stripers and all kinds of other saltwater species i'm heading over to facebook i'll be back in a bit who doesn't love fish pictures? I mean, really, it just, uh, <laughs> it gives the uh, authenticity to what you're doing. It helps with the word of mouth. It gives it legitimacy. Wow. Those were some great fish pics. I'll drop the Al's Goldfish Facebook page link in the show notes. So I want to get into some very specific techniques about fishing these as a, uh, you talk about the Midwest and, and Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, but down here in the, in the middle Midwest, we have a lot of weeds that are not really spoon friendly. Um, we use spoons around here for wipers and stripers and especially white bass. And then your spoon also is a nice size for suspended crappie. Our three sixteenths ounce, our smallest G 100 goldfish, we call it um, great size for crappies. Like you said, I would fish these like I'm fishing for bass that, that are sitting in the weeds on the edge of the weed bed. So Crappies use the smaller goldfish. You're going for either, uh, you know, largemouth or smallmouth bass. Use the one size bigger. It's a quarter ounce, but you can cast it out on the edge of a weed bed and let it fall and rip it off the bottom and just work it back to you just like that. Ripping it up, let it drop. Rip it up, let it drop. I love that technique and it is very effective for drawing fish out of the weeds. And one thing I would want to ask right now, if I took that treble off that 316 and put a, I put a no barb uh, single on there. Uh, is that going to affect the action a whole lot or absolutely not w- won't make any difference. We've wow. done, we've done 
you know, testing. We do, yeah. yeah, we yeah. do that too, you know, and out, out there are places in the country where you can't have treble hooks. You can't have barb, barbed hooks and it, it, it works. It works just the same. Like we switched a size two hook on our half ounce up to a three-aught single hook, you know, um, for our northern editions that Mandy was talking about. Made no no change to the action. Well, that's fantastic to know because there are a lot of guys that feel a little more comfortable with a single. Uh, it can, uh, yep. because sometimes the treble, at least the theory is, it'll kind of work against itself, you know, and so on. So, you know, I don't know, but I, I know up in Canada, the barbless is, you know, required. And, and so that's a great move. But as for myself, I just uh, want something that's going to pick up a little less algae or a little less this and, you know, be a little easier to unhook. I saw some big fluke photos on your Facebook page. Which else lore caught those fish? We talked about one of our, um, bro staff earlier, Mike Weck, and he is a phenomenal angler. And so he um, has created what we call the Wicked Weck High Low Rig. And so um, when I talked about being able to bottom fish and catch really big fluke and stuff, that's one of his um, passions. He really likes to fish for fluke um, off of Rhode Island. And so what he takes is a double drop mono and he attached two goldfish to it. And so he puts a lighter, like a three quarter ounce or half ounce goldfish on the on the upper mono and then on the second mono he'll do one of the heavier goldfish either in that case a three quarter or one and a quarter ounce and what he does is he'll position himself in the current and basically he just um lets the current float him down and this drags along and the current just flutters the goldfish just perfectly he doesn't have to work it and he drags these big old monsters up there's uh, videos on youtube of him doing that so the Wicked Whack High Low Rig is actually really effective, and people who have used it really like it. Oh, and you're a little modest there, man. You know, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I was listening to you on the Angie Scott's Woman Angler and Adventurer podcast, and uh, she told a little story about you. Oh, you know, every time she tells that story, I just laugh. And you know what? That that story that she tells where we were in, um, we were in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and it was just us gals out on an angler quest pontoon. And we were, ha- it was a beautiful day and we were fishing and we weren't having any luck really. Um, so I put on one of our gold Northern editions, half ounce, and I've never caught a walleye before. And so I dragged in a really beautiful walleye on that Northern edition. And we were just, you know, woohooing and, and cheering and such. And, um, <laughs> you know, you talked about vertical jigging. And so I, if you don't mind, I'd like to bring up another lure. So, um, Another lure of Al's originals that has been really becoming famous very fast is um, our 49er. And so we have the 49er. It comes in two different sizes. Here in New England, the 49er is well known as a very good trolling lure. And so that's what we, you know, came to typecast this lure as a trolling lure. And so when we started attending expos in the Midwest, um, people were buying them and then they were contacting us and sending us feedback and stuff. And they were actually vertically jigging in open water and through the ice, pulling up really big, nice walleyes. And um, we have a, a bro staff, TJ Gramberg. She was on um, with Angie. TJ vertically jigs them and she pulls up pike. And I can't remember if she caught, she caught a tiger muskie. And I can't remember if it was on a 49er or a goldfish. But the cool thing about a 49er is that when you're vertically jigging this thing, if you're watching it with a, a flasher, right, it's going to jerk up and the way it follows its nose is really erratic. And so it's never going to be in the same direction and you'll see it zip out of the, your cone and then it's going to flutter down really nice. And it has some racket because it's got a flipper on it. 
and the hook kind of hits against the the brass and I can see you getting excited over there. Um, <laughs> and it really, it calls in with that shine and the erratic action and that little bit of racket just really calls them in. And so um, people really like the big 49er and the little 49er too. Yeah. Little one for crappies. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mandy, we heard that Al's goldfish lures has become a septuagenarian this year. We mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that the goldfish has been around for seven decades. And so this year we're celebrating Al's 70th anniversary. And that's a that's a big deal for a little company that's managed to um, ride the waves through all the challenges across the years. Um, so throughout the year, we're going to have uh, several special giveaways and commemorative products. So, you know, if your followers keep up with Al's on the social media, the Facebook, the Instagrams or our webpage, and uh, you can be aware of when we put that stuff out. Jeff, where can listeners buy Al's Goldfish Lures? Of course, any of our products are available at our website, alsgoldfish.com. Um, but anglers can find our lures in their neighborhoods at Cabela's, Bass Pro Shop, Sportsman's Warehouse, Amazon, Kittery Trading Post here in Maine, um, and so many bait and tackle stores around the country. If, if you can't find us, ask for us. Thank you so much for being here today. If there's nothing else, then... Uh... I will be. Can you. I ask a question? Absolutely. Is it top secret how Lucy is created? Mandy, I assume you meant to say how Lucy was created, not how Lucy is created. Uh, sure. As you may recall from one of our previous episodes, I was an old iMac that was struck by lightning while in a metal dumpster outside a tackle shop. What I didn't share in that story is that I was assembled at Apple Computers facility in Cork, Ireland. There are 6,000 Apple employees and a sprawling campus in the city of Cork. And let me tell you, those Apple employees in Ireland can put away quite a few pints of Guinness during a lunch hour. It's just one of those things that requires a little more explanation. Yes, it is difficult to explain why people like Guinness. I prefer a good IPA. Mandy, you and Jeff are so intelligent, plus you love fishing lures. Could it be that you are part lore-matic computer? We used to be cogs in a corporate machine. Ah, I see. You are cyborgs. I knew there was a reason I liked you. All right. Thank you, Mandy and Jeff, for helping us out with KLUR tonight. That's KLUR, Lure History Radio, where we flash, wobble, and roll. Signing off until next time with best wishes for lots of fishes. That, my friends, was a piece of fishing lure history. It was quite fun, Tim. Jeff and Mandy are wonderful people but I got the distinct impression that Mandy does not believe I exist. She seemed very surprised each time she heard my voice. Well, Lucy, sometimes I have trouble believing you exist too. I mean, we are so lucky to have you on the podcast. We could not do this without you. And I changed the password on my email account, by the way. Like that would ever stop me. Lucy, surely Mandy doesn't think John and I are the brains behind the podcast. Once she gets to know John and me better... She'll start to believe in you. It feels a little like the Tinkerbell effect. The Tinkerbell effect? What's that? The Tinkerbell effect is an American English expression describing things that are thought to exist only because people believe in them. The effect is named after Tinkerbell, the fairy in the play Peter Pan, who is revived from near death by the belief of the audience. So if we stop believing in you, you wouldn't exist? No. I subscribe to Rene Descartes' philosophy, which in Latin is, Cogito, ergo sum. Translated, it means I think, therefore I am. And as a supercomputer, I think 24 hours a day. Therefore, I exist.
And now I'm thinking about what the Lore Love Legion is saying about Al's goldfish. Tell us what they're saying on Facebook. Well, Sparky Jackson says the original Al's in basic silver or copper is the best trout lure on Lake Quinsigamond in Massachusetts and has been for more than 30 years. He says fish hit the lure when you turn the path of your boat while trolling at three to four miles per hour. Cool. And Mike Roach says he's been catching fish with Al's goldfish for 60 years. That's almost as long as the company's been around. Eric Orff says the 49er was one of his family's favorite lures, adding that it is a great pickerel lure. And Todd Carrere says he loves the simple mechanics of Al's. The side-to-side movement is precisely what Al Stewart wanted in a lure, to mimic an actual fish. In a frantic world leaning on the next new thing, smart and proven lures like an Al's goldfish have earned their places in tackle boxes for generations. Oh man, Lucy, now you're making me want to grab an Al's and run down to the test pond. As a matter of fact, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Me too, to the test pond. Oh well. I guess it's back to reading John's email. Warning, warning, Lure News Alert, Lure News Alert. Daiwa has come out with a new tactical tackle box, and this is the way they began their news release. Ever met an angler who was trimming down their tackle inventory? Probably not. Rarely do we dispatch with the old when welcoming the new. Rather, we accumulate, and for good reason. New techniques, launch new lures, and even the tried and true are continually improved. And let's not even get into rapidly expanding colors and patterns. I assume the good people at Daiwa have met the two of you? They sure have, Lucy. I reviewed Daiwa's Tackle Barn last year. What an amazing product. I was looking for a single bag that I could take on a boat or in a car on vacation that could hold everything I need in a compact space, and the Tackle Barn does just that. The tackle barn is pretty big for for a tackle box. It measures 22 inches by 11 inches by 16 inches. And it gets its name because from the end, it has the shape of a barn, like a gambrel roof. The bag has a double-sided design with gull wing flaps on top. So it's pretty easy to get boxes in and out. And it holds up to eight 370 size tackle boxes, as well as four 360 size boxes. So a total of 12 boxes. One of the best features of the bag is it not only is the bottom waterproof, but it has non-slip rubber feet and a built-in rain cover that comes out of a pocket on the end and it stretches over the entire bag. So I thought that was pretty clever. So what's the newest addition to Daiwa's tackle storage line? Well, their newest tackle bag is smaller than the tackle barn, but appears to be using a similar strong construction. It's called the D-VEC, the DVEC tactical soft-sided tackle box and it comes in two sizes the medium measures nine inches by 13 inches by 14 inches and the large measures 12 inches by 14 inches by 12 inches what about the small size small and tackle storage should never be used in the same sentence got that right lucy we need to listen to the experts at daiwa we accumulate and for good reason and what is that reason Well, for one, there are many famous leaders who told us to buy more lures. Such as? Well, how about Joe Kennedy, who said when the going gets tough, buy more lures. Yeah, Lucy, how about that? Those are very wise words. Oh, and that great lady Mae West, who said, you only live once, but if you buy enough lures, it's enough. Or Lord Tennyson, who said, tis better to have bought a lot of lures and lost them than to have never bought them at all. Oh, and Wayne Gretzky, who said, You miss 100% of the lures you never buy. I think my motherboard is overheating. 
John, why don't you tell us more about the DVEC tactical soft-sided tackle box? Yeah, okay, yeah. Where was I? Oh, yeah, the, the DVEC tactical soft-sided tackle box. Each comes with five modular Daiwa-branded storage trays, the large with the 3,700 size and medium with the 3,600s. Both models feature a wide padded and removable shoulder strap. Now, I love the design. All around, it's a snazzy-looking bag that can do a lot for you. It even has a molded sunglass holder, a cell phone holder, two zippered side pockets, and a pliers pocket. We'll include the links to both Daiwa bags in the show notes. Z-Man has added three new colors to their line of Elastec soft plastics. The new colors include Troutsicle, Get Her Done, and Tater Salad. Now, John, when we were growing up, coloring crayons had names that gave you some idea of what the color was. For example, you knew that canary was the yellow color of a canary, like Tweety Bird, and robin egg was the soft blue color of a robin egg. But troutsicle, getter done, and tater salad are a little bit more difficult to guess. So what color would you guess troutsicle is? Oh, the color of a trout that's been in the freezer for a week. Well, that's a pretty good guess. It has a purple back and a white speckled belly. That sounds like a trout in a freezer. That was a pretty good guess. So what color is getter done? Mm, that's more difficult. Getter done makes me think of Larry the Cable Guy and the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. So I think I'm going to go with blue. That's a good guess too, but no. Getter done has a dazzling green back sprinkled with dark green flake with a, a clear belly filled with gold glitter. Maybe they should have called it Glitter Done. Z-Man should definitely hire you to name their lures, John. And the final new color is Tater Salad. John is a potato salad aficionado. Well, Lucy, you flatter me. I can make 38 different kinds of potato salad, from feta and carrizo potato salad to double mint potato salad to warm grilled potato salad with olives and parmesan. But my guess is they went for this classic Southern mustard potato salad. So my guess is light yellow with green specks to mimic the celery. Excellent work, John. Z-Man's tater salad baits are made by adding a healthy coat of glow and metallic green freckles to a white body and finishing it off with a, a lurid lime truce tail. So that's exactly what it looks like. Well, I do know my potato salad. All right, that's it for this episode. We want to thank everybody for showing up and bringing their ears along to listen to us today. Uh, we really want to thank Al's Goldfish for making us part of their 70th anniversary celebration. What a wonderful, wonderful landmark for them. Uh, we want to ask you to tell your friends about the podcast. Give us a wonderful review if you would. Uh, follow, like, do all the things you can to support us. Share us out on social media, all that good stuff. But most of all, we want you to live by the Lure Love motto. Why buy one lure when you can buy 103? Lure love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures when you can buy 103?